Well, just this week, um, McCrindle Research released some really significant findings into how Australians trust and value important institutions. Unsurprisingly, they found that in the last three years, nearly half, 47% of our population, indicated that they have lost trust in the Australian government and in political leaders of all stripes. It's not surprising, is it, in the light of, of COVID, uh, the COVID response from our government, in the light of the cost of living pressures that we're all under, trust is down. Trust in mainstream media has also fallen, also by 47%. And our trust in large corporations has gone down as well, down 43%. Not too surprising that the government, the media, these large corporations, they are on the nose. These kind of mediating institutions are being seen for what they really are, institutions that are broken, riddled with hypocrisy, a poor tendency to try and manage crises rather than actually lead. Systems really are broken and trust is falling off a cliff. So none of that, you know, shocked the McCrindle researchers, but what they did uh, find surprising was this, that trust in churches has actually bucked the trend. So trust in local churches is up 21%. And trust in the broader church community is also up 19%. So what are we supposed to make of this? In a time where, where trust in these big institutions are declining and, and falling and failing, the church is actually doing the opposite. I wonder whether you can see the opportunity that we have here. See, if we look at things from a, a sovereign perspective, if we look at this through God's eyes, we can see this for what it really is. It is an opportunity for us. It's an opportunity for worship. Not, not worship in the sense of church services or even in singing to God, but an opportunity for, for worship, for biblical worship, for our whole lives to be lived in all its fullness to the glory of God. Uh, like Steve mentioned earlier, today's sermon, it's a, it's a one-off sermon, as my head has been in Romans 12 uh, for a while. I wanted to share with you some reflections I've got on this passage on the passage that was just read for us, and especially those first two verses. So it'd be great if you could follow along, if you've got your Bible open in front of you. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, there's a lot going on in, in just two, two sentences. They are rich and they are profound and they are challenging and they are exciting. Let me show you what I mean. The first word that stands out for me in that sentence is the therefore this verse here in chapter 12 and these ideas don't come out of nowhere. This verse is a real hinge in the book of Romans itself. For, for 12 chapters or for 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul has been laying down some really clear and extraordinary theology. 
He's told us that we have all sinned before God. That God has provided the, the only way to salvation, and that is through the death of Jesus on the cross. He's told us that in the death of Jesus, we are fully and freely forgiven, and that this is God's gift to us. We haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. It is all by his grace. And in the death of Jesus, God has actually reconciled us back to himself. We were his enemies, but now we are his friends. God's wrath that we deserve for our rebellion against him, his anger has been turned aside from us onto the Lord Jesus. And so we are no longer condemned. We are now included amongst God's people by Jesus. It's as if we have died with him and now we are risen to new life. Therefore. See the difference the therefore makes? It reminds us to look back at all that has come before it. And it's almost as if the Apostle Paul can't actually help himself. The, the next phrase that he uses makes us look back too. He talks about the mercies of God. All of this is because God is merciful. That God has shown us mercy, that he has been kind, he has shown us grace. Because we really did deserve death. Ever since, since the garden, death has come because of our sin. Our rebellion against God is so deep, it is so profound, it has so kind of infused everything that we do. All that we could expect was death. And yet, and yet God saved us. Not because we've done anything righteous, not because we've deserved it, not because we have a, a glimmer of good in us. He saved us because of his grace, because he is merciful, because that's, that's who he is. That's his character. And because God is like this, because of his mercy and grace, what should we do? What should we do in response? Well, we should worship. But even as I say that word, that word worship confuses us. Often we hear it, we hear the word worship and we think of church. Most people would describe worship as, as something that's kind of associated with the church. We go to church to worship, someone might say. We might even call what we're doing now a worship service. Some worship services begin with a call to worship at the beginning. We might hear the word worship and actually focus on the music in our church gatherings. Now, someone might say, let us stand and sing for our time of worship. There's even a whole genre of Christian music called praise and worship music. But that's not what the Apostle Paul means at all when he thinks about worship. Have a think for a moment about Old Testament worship. Old Testament worship that happened before Jesus was found in a place where you would actually go to meet with God at the temple. And Old Testament worship was performed by a person. It was performed by a priest. He was the mediator between you, the sinner, and a good and perfect and holy God. And that Old Testament worship was focused on the sacrifice Symbolically, the worship would involve the sacrifice of an animal. 
that Old Testament temple would have smelt more like an abattoir than a nice church building. You see, that animal was being slaughtered on the altar. That animal was dying, but not for its sin. It hadn't committed a sin, but you had. And so as that animal was slaughtered, it was a vivid and sobering reminder that your sin brings death. And in a sense, that animal was dying in your place. But elsewhere, and as we had uh, read for us in, in Psalm 50 and in other places, God tells us that, that the blood of bulls and goats and lambs were, never really took away sin. In a sense, they were like a, a teaching aid where, where those sacrifices were actually pointing God's people to something else, pointing God's people for, for the need of one true and unique and perfect sacrifice that was to come. And so it's no surprise then when John the Baptist spots Jesus in a crowd. Does anyone remember what he says when he first sees Jesus? Anyone? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, John the Baptist realised that the heart of worship in the Old Testament actually leads us to Jesus. That Jesus is the place to go to meet with God. That in Jesus we have a great high priest who is our mediator forever, that in Jesus we have the perfect sacrifice. He is the one who dies for all of us. He is the one who turns aside God's wrath. In other words, Jesus completes worship for us. He does everything to fulfill God's expectations of worship for you and for me. There is no longer any special place to go to meet with God. There's no temple to go to. Church buildings like this one aren't the new temples. We don't go to a particular building in order to worship God. We go to Jesus. And we don't need to repeat sacrifices because Jesus has given himself as the one true sacrifice. In God's mercy, he has given himself to fulfill worship for you and for me. So when we think about worship, we really need to think about Jesus. But notice the kind of worship then that these verses are actually pointing us to. It's not telling us, make sure you sing loudly at church. Our worship is responsive. We're actually responding to God's mercy. We're responding to God's grace to us. We're responding to all that Jesus has done for us. We're responding to the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, our worship doesn't make God act in a certain way towards us. We don't draw near to God in our worship because he's already drawn near to us in the gospel. So our worship, firstly, is responsive, but notice as well, it is costly or as Paul puts it in this verse, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In response to God's mercy to you, he says, lay down your life. That is costly. He's saying, present your body as if it's one of those Old Testament sacrifices being slaughtered on the altar. 
can you see how the right understanding of worship has therefore no limits? It'd be crazy to think that worship would be limited to, to one hour a week in this building, friends. Or even more crazy to think that it would be limited to the 20 minutes of singing time during church. It's not supposed to be limited. It's supposed to be costly. It's supposed to be all of life. Our whole lives are supposed to be like this. What he's talking about is is our work and our rest and our time and our money and our study and our retirement and our relationships and our singleness and our marriages and our parenting and our friendships and our holidays and our sport and our exercise. All of it is to be a living sacrifice. Lives being laid down for God in response to what he's done for us. And if that is true, friends, then we ought to die to ourselves and live for him. See, Christianity isn't a ticket to heaven. It's not just about what happens in the future when we die. Paul's letter to the Romans actually pushes our thinking. He pushes us to think about the fact that we have actually died now and that we are to live not for ourselves but for God because that, friends, is real worship. More than that, Paul says this is our spiritual worship. Now, unfortunately, spiritual isn't really a great word. It probably trips us up a little bit again. You might have an NIV translation in front of you which says, this is your true and proper worship. Uh, The old King James translated it as, this is your reasonable service. Uh, The Greek word that is being translated here is logikos. And even as I say it, you kind of get what I mean. It's kind of related to the word where we get logic from. He's talking about logical worship. Uh, If you've got a footnote in your ESV like my Bible does, you might notice down the bottom, it says, this is your rational service. See, spiritual worship, this this all-of-life worship is true and proper and it's reasonable and it's rational and it's, it's kind of logical. If we think about the fact that God has done everything for us in the Lord Jesus, that If in Jesus we have forgiveness and hope and a fresh start and we find reconciliation and peace and true life and eternal life and and we find purpose and a future and wisdom and encouragement and a relationship with God himself, well then what should our worship look like? Well, it'll be reasonable. It'll be rational. It'll be logical. We will count the cost. And we will die to ourselves and we will put sin to death because that's what logical spiritual worship demands. See, our whole lives ought to be devoted to him. Not just an hour on a Sunday or a Bible study during the week. We we are to be walking and talking and living sacrifices. We are to live a joined up life. 
And so, friends, I wonder if you can see the opportunity that we have before us. See, with trust in government and in the media and in corporations falling through the floor, friends, if we can get our worship right, can you see the difference that that'll make? And by getting our worship right, I'm clearly not talking about, you know, tweaking our music or fixing up our church services so they run a little bit differently. I'm talking about our very lives. You know, this morning there's, what, 100 people here this morning? Just think what a difference it would be if we all left here this morning committed to, to this kind of worship. A worship that is responsive to God's grace that's shown to us in Jesus. A, a worship that is costly as we lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. A worship that is, is rational and reasonable and logical. Think about just how different our lives would be. They would be strange lives. They'd be odd lives. Because in a world that is obsessed with self, we'd instead be living for an audience of one. In a world that is marred by greed and envy, we would be generous and countercultural. In a world of sin and grief and destruction, we could be freed to love. In a world shaped by fear and anxiety, we would actually have hope and a better way to live. Well, how on earth can we live this way? Well, Paul unpacks it for us. Verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to this world, Paul says. This is like an active command. The world is, is seeking to conform us. The world wants to shape us and mould us and to make us all the same as them. And it's so easy to do that, isn't it? We consume the same media and we, we watch the same shows and we listen to the same music and we talk like everyone else and we make the same kind of decisions as the world and we have the same investments. Friends, it is easy to conform. It's easy to go along with the crowd. It is easy to acquiesce and to adapt and accommodate and adjust. No one wants to stand out. No one wants to be different. But what does God want? God wants spiritual worshippers. He wants rational service. He wants, lo he wants logical worship. So don't be conformed to the world. Don't be like them. And again, this is going to cost us. It's going to cost us because the conforming world doesn't tolerate difference. We will soon feel that this doesn't really feel like home. We will feel like strangers in our own country. Living differently, living this way, will bring suffering and ridicule. We will be mocked and insulted. But we won't be surprised. Because that also happened to Jesus. And he is our king. 
That also happened to Jesus. He is our master. We're his apprentices. So don't be conformed to the world. And what should we do instead? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, unlike that, that first command, which was active, something for us to do, to not be conformed by the world. This one's a little bit unusual. This is actually a passive command. It's kind of like saying to a boxer going into a, the boxing ring, be beaten up. He says, be transformed. God is in the transformation business. He is actually the one who transforms us. Because the gospel is all about change. And God uses his word as our change agent. He picks up the same idea in in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 18. The words will be on the screen behind me, where Paul says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. See, God wants to transform us. He wants us to be different. He wants to be at work in us to change us. God has already said in Romans 8, uh, again, the words are on the screen. He says, For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what's God doing in the world? What is God doing actually in us? He's transforming us. He is conforming us to the image of Jesus. He wants us to be more like Jesus. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Be transformed by renewing your mind. It doesn't come easy, but renewal is possible. Because God is the God of fresh starts and God is the one who makes all things new. And so although our minds may indeed be polluted by the world and and influenced by our family of origin and, and full of junk, like, I don't know, old song lyrics and random trivia... Our minds can actually be renewed and renovated and revitalized and reinvigorated. And why live like this? Why does God want this kind of worship? It's because he wants us to know him. Paul says it this way, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, God wants us to know him, to know his will. He wants us to know what's good, what's pleasing in his sight, what is acceptable to him. And so if we are the kind of people who trust in Jesus, who wouldn't want to live like that? Knowing God, knowing ourselves, and so being able to please him. See, friends, this is what true and logical worship is. This is what it looks like to live in the light of God's mercy to us in Jesus. This is what it means to be a living sacrifice. This is what it looks like to to reject the world and its demands for conformity. 
and instead to allow God to transform us to be more and more like Jesus. See, the world is giving us an opportunity at the moment, and the question is whether we will be really ready to live like this. As I said, these two verses, that they're a hinge for us in the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul has laid down all his arguments at the start, all his theology. He's unpacked the cross, the grace of God, all that Jesus has done for us. And with this kind of new spiritual worship in mind, what I want to do for the next minute as we close together is just slowly read through the rest of chapter 12 as Paul unpacks for us what this this all-of-life worship might actually look like. It'd be great if you could follow along in your Bible as I read, but if not, just, just listen as he describes the kind of life that is lived in response to God's grace. Just listen as he describes a life lived as a living sacrifice. Listen as he describes what it looks like to to not be conformed to the world. And listen as he describes what it looks like to, to be transformed by God himself, to be more and more like his son, the Lord Jesus. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, you ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith. That God has assigned. That's all of life worship, isn't it? Where we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but actually to think with sober judgment. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, then in proportion with our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. See what it looks like to be a living sacrifice amongst God's people God has gifted us in so many different ways and he wants us to use those gifts for the sake of those around us. How else should we live? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another. Be in competition with each other. Fight against each other to do what? In showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, sorry, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 
Friends, this is what it looks like to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by God himself. Rejoicing, patient, constant, generous. And how's this for not conforming with the world? Next he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Or how's this for transforming? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. This is what Christian worship looks like. He says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. As our mind is renewed, what's that going to be look like? He says, never be wise in your own sight. If we're transformed by God, what happens when something goes wrong? He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. What should our heart be towards each other? Well, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, he says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, this is what worship looks like. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, I want to worship like that. And that is so much better, isn't it? Than a good song to sing to. Or a church service. I want to worship like that and I pray that you do too. So let's ask God to help us. Let's pray together. Our great God, we are so thankful for your mercies, that you're a God of grace, you're a God of kindness. That in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, you have done everything for us. Help us, please, to live our lives in response to all that you've done. Help us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, knowing that it is costly, knowing you want us to lay down our lives for you, knowing you want us to die to ourselves and instead live for you. Father, help us to do this, knowing that this is for our good and for your glory. Father, help our our worship to be spiritual and and reasonable and rational and logical that our whole lives would be consumed by by living in response to what you've done for us protect us from the world we pray help us not to be conformed to it but help us to to stand out and be different as we seek to live a life that honors you Father, please transform us. 
by your word, please renew our minds so that we can know you and know what your will is and to live in a way that is good and acceptable and pleasing and perfect in your sight. Father, help us, we pray, to live like this, to be changed by you, changed by the gospel, and equipped to live in this world as your disciples. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.